0: You're listening to the Mens Rea Podcast, and this is part one of the story of the murder of Bobby Ryan. is a beautiful part of the country. It's mainly farmland, with gently undulating hills and lush green grass. Perfect for cows, and perfect for dairy farming. And it's to a rural dairy farming community we go this week. In fact, this story involves mainly members of the same family, but it's far from a typical family feud we're dealing with. This was a drama beyond all proportion, and the entire country was fixated and obsessed by it for the greater part of four months this year. Mary Quigley was originally from the Newport area of Tipperary, where her father had a small holding of fifteen acres. As was typical of the time in the country, the family was large. She was the third of six children. She began her working life doing accounts and reception for a meat company, where she stayed for 14 years. She met her husband, Martin Lowry, while at a nightclub in Limerick, and the two were married. Martin and Mary built an extension onto Martin's parents' home in Fawnagown, County Tipperary, and they had three sons together there. Martin took over the farming from his father, and he kept cows. The house was very much a working farmhouse, and though large with two separate living areas, it backed right up onto the farmyard and its sheds and outbuildings. But in 2007, Martin Lowry was diagnosed with cancer. Initially, his medical problems had started with a pain in his knee, which he put down to an old football injury, but he was later diagnosed with the cancer he became very ill very quickly and passed away that september leaving mary on her own on the farm with three small children and her mother-in-law living next door thankfully for mary the situation was a quite stable one martin had had a life insurance policy and he'd left behind him an investment portfolio too and though there was no one to take over the farming for her she was able to rent out the land and there was a ready and willing tenant for her, her brother in law, Patrick Quirk. Patrick lived not too far away and farmed a small holding of just under sixty acres. He had married Imelda Lowry, Martin's sister, and Martin had even stood as best man for him in their wedding. The farm was everything to Patrick, and he was good at what he did. He was considered one of the top fifty dairy farmers in the country and had been awarded a scholarship in 2001 that brought him to New Zealand, the US, and throughout Europe to look at various dairy cooperatives. He, at one time, was chairman of the Irish Farmers Association Dairy Committee in South Tipperary. Beyond that, he also liked investing. He had a particular fondness for property and had interests in a few properties in Eastern Europe, and he liked contracts for difference, which if I understand correctly, is basically just a kind of gambling. He and Martin had shared some of their business interests and so after Martin died it seemed only natural that he would help his sister-in-law with these finances given that he was familiar with them and she had never dealt with them before. But what had started out as a kind gesture, a helping hand within the family, turned into an affair and quickly. Mary Lowry and Patrick Quirk began a sexual relationship in January of 2008, just months after Martin's death. Quirk would come to visit Mary after her children had gone to school and they would sleep together. They went away for weekends to hotels and to dances. And they carried on in this way until late 2010 when Mary began seeing someone else. Quirk discovered her so-called infidelity and flew into a rage. He'd taken her phone and called this interloper saying only, I'm the man, before angrily hanging up. But that was it for Mary. She felt ashamed of the affair she was having with her brother-in-law, and by how she was betraying Imelda, whom she'd been friends with. And so, she'd moved on. To Bobby Ryan. Bobby was a divorcee, though he was still friends with his former wife and had a close relationship with their two kids, a son and a daughter, who came to live with him after the split. He worked at a local quarry, but was much better known for what he got up to in the evenings. He was a local DJ, known as Mr. Moonlight, and could be found evenings and weekends picking out tracks for people to sing along and dance to in local pubs. Music was his love. He'd been a bit depressed when he and his wife split, but after a while he began dating again, and by December of 2010, things seemed to be getting quite serious with Mary Lowry. His kids were happy for him. He was happy and enjoying life. They were going away for weekends and dances and to dinners. He was a fun loving, affectionate guy, and he was living life to the fullest. But Patrick Quirk didn't take the breakup well he couldn't accept that Mary had moved on, and their relationship deteriorated. Things weren't always perfect between Mary and Bobby, despite the fact that they got on well and made each other laugh. On the June bank holiday weekend of 2011, the two had gone away for the weekend and had attended a dance. They'd fought over Bobby dancing with another woman, but by the following day, they'd made up and the night of the 2nd of June, Bobby stayed with Mary at her house. Bobby had started that evening with his son and his partner, Leanne Hallisey. The two of them sat watching TV together and chatting, but Bobby's phone was going off non-stop. He stood up at about 9pm and sighing, he said to Leanne, quote, I'd better go across and see what's wrong with her, End quote and he headed to Larry's home, where he stayed the night, despite the put-out-sounding statement he'd made on his way there. Bobby got up as usual the following morning at about half-six to go to work, and Mary heard his van drive over the cattle grate on the lane leading to her house. But that was the last anyone heard from Bobby Ryan. He never turned up at work that day, and didn't answer his phone to his kids when they called. Michelle and Robert Jr. were always in contact with their father, and they knew immediately that something was wrong. When he heard his dad hadn't made it to work, Robert Jr. called to the house to see if everything was all right. It was unlike his father to be late, and he never missed work, so he thought that maybe his dad was sick. But Bobby wasn't there either. And so Robert Jr. called out to Mary Lowry's home. He drove into the yard and spotted Mary from his car. He could see that she was shaking and seemed to him to be upset and shocked, as if she'd just been in an accident or something along those lines. When he rolled down the window to ask after his father, Miss Lowry just mumbled at him, saying, quote, We didn't have a fight, end quote. He said he knew immediately that something was wrong, and it seemed to him that Mary Lowry wanted him away from the yard and her house as soon as possible. Michelle also went out to Mary Larry's looking for her father. That morning she described having a feeling of something being terribly wrong. She and her aunt rang the Gardie and the local hospitals to try and locate him, but there was just no sign whatsoever. When she went to Mary's, the two decided to take a drive around the area, To see if they could locate him. Michelle said she couldn't explain it, but she had a feeling that her father's van would be out in a nearby wooded area somewhere, and told Mary that that's where they needed to drive to. Larry was upset too and kept apologizing to her, saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They drove towards the woods and eventually ended up at a visitor's car park in Bansha Woods. There, they found the van. It was unlocked despite having all of his DJ equipment in it and had been left in gear which Michelle was certain her father wouldn't have done. The seat was pulled up closer to the steering wheel than her father would have had it. She knew this because she often drove the van herself and never had to adjust the seat when she did. They notified the guardie of what they had found and Michelle spent the next few hours searching the woods for her father. Garda Thomas Neville was the officer who took the initial report of Mr. Ryan being missing at Bansha Garda station and also took the call from the distraught women when they came across the van. Michelle told him that Mary Lowry had opened the back of the van and Michelle had taken her dad's diary from the van before heading into the woods to see if that's where her dad had gone. Garda Neville took down the information he'd been given but at that stage, It was just a few hours into a missing person's case, and there was little more that he could do. The Ryan family kept searching for Bobby, but besides finding his unlocked van in the woods, there was no indication of where he might be or where he had gone to. Finally, four days after Mr. Ryan was initially reported missing, the Lowry property was searched. Sergeant Cahill Godfrey and eight other Garda searched the lands and sheds at the Lowry farm on the 7th of June after being given permission by Mary Lowry. The team began at half nine in the morning and finished just before noon. They had come across a slurry tank, but there wasn't enough material in it to have covered a body. And as this was still a missing persons investigation, they didn't take photographs, videos, or any notes of the search. The guards had split into two teams of four and walked the land together to search it, before joining up to go over it once more. They searched hedges, sheds, fields, tanks, ditches and other outbuildings between periods of heavy rain. They did not search the house. But nothing of evidential value was found on the land or in its outbuildings. Bobby Ryan was still missing, and quickly the case went cold. While Michelle and Robert Jr. would continue to search for their father, there was little for the Gardee to go on. And so, missing posters went up, and stayed up, and for the rest of the community at Fauna life went on. After Bobby's disappearance, Mary and Patrick saw each other a few times. There were at least two weekends away, to Kilkenny, and another to the swanky Cliff House Hotel in Waterford. But the relationship wasn't as it had been, and soon Mary moved on again to another man, Floor Cantillion. But Patrick Quirk was still not over his relationship with Mary. In fact, Mary had thought someone was breaking into her house while she was out, and so installed CCTV cameras to cover her house and farmyard. On the 3rd of December 2012, the cameras caught a man, who Larry identified as Quirk. Driving up to the house in a van, and then walking around, looking through windows, and going around the back of the house, she said that the man had taken a pair of her underwear that were hanging on the line drying. Quirk tried to explain himself. He said he'd gone to the property to give a letter to Miss Lowry, but she wasn't home. He rang the doorbell, checked the letterbox, and looked through the windows while around the back of the house he noticed washing on the line, which included some underwear. He said he had looked at a tag out of curiosity and had taken it off the line, but he'd put them back. He then remembered that he had picked up a key in the yard some time ago and decided to try the front door with it. It was in fact the key to Larry's home and the door opened but when it did, the alarm started to beep inside and Quirk realised that what he was doing was wrong and shut the door, locked it and drove away. He later went to Mary Lowry and returned the key, explaining that he had found it. Shortly after viewing this footage, Mary decided she'd had enough and asked her solicitor to write to Quirk, terminating his lease on the land she had at vaughan she was cutting ties with the man who said he only wanted to help her, and then that he was in love with her. She wanted nothing more to do with him. She went so far as complaining to the guardie about the break-ins and told them about another incident where Mary alleged Patrick had shoved her during an argument in her kitchen. In the end, Quirk said that he would have everything moved to a new piece of land that he planned to lease from a Miss Mary Dillon by June of twenty thirteen it's not known if this would be a better deal than what he had going with Mary Larry. His yearly rent for her land was in the region of €11,500, but with his government grant, he paid her only €1,160 per year. What is sure is that he was losing the land and the good deal. But in the meantime, in April of 2013, Ms Larry had a knock on the door. It was the Gardee. They informed her that a body had been found in a runoff tank on her land. She was shocked. She hadn't even known that the tank the Gardee were talking about existed until that moment. Quirk and his wife Amelda were there too. Mary thought that Amelda seemed shaken, but it struck her that Quirk seemed unperturbed by the situation. It was strange, as the Gardee told her that he was the one. Who had found the body that morning, the thirtieth of April? Garda Thomas Neville received a phone call from Patrick Quirk's wife, Imelda. The two had met at the local hurling club, and they were friendly. Imelda had rang him on his mobile when he was at home just after 1pm. She told him that, shockingly, a body had been found out on Mary Lowry's farm. Garda Neville told her to make sure they didn't touch anything, and immediately rang Tipperary Garda Station to request someone go out there. The first Garda on the scene out at the Lowry's farm was Inspector Podrick Powell. When he arrived to the farm at Fonagown, he found Patrick and Amelda Quirk Sitting on a wall together. Patrick brought him to an underground runoff tank in the field. It was a disused part of the dairy parlour on the farm and was at that point partially covered by concrete slabs. One was pulled away slightly, allowing access to a hose down into the tank. Inspector Powell had to get down on his hands and knees to peer through the crack and into the tank, but when he did, he saw the silhouette of a body. It was unmistakable. Patrick Quirk told the Gardee that had arrived that he'd been out that day preparing to spread slurry, animal waste used as fertilizer. He had needed water to add to the thick manure that was in the agitator and had intended on using water from this particular tank. He'd pushed part of the slab out of the way and lowered a hose pipe to drain out the water, but it seemed to get blocked and stopped working. So Quirk had gone to investigate and told Gardaí that it was then he'd looked into the tank and seen the body. He presumed it to be that of missing man Bobby Ryan. He said to the guardi, Sure, who else would it have been? End quote. Whoever it happened to be down in that tank, there was definitely a body, and so a crime scene was established on the farmland. The forensics unit was called in, and the pathologist on duty was called, Dr Khalid Jabbar. He told the guardie who rang him that he would not be attending on scene, but that he would do a full examination of the body when it arrived at Waterford General Hospital. It was an unusual decision given the unusual scene they were dealing with, but Gardie carried on without him. Firstly, the two concrete slabs would have to be moved. Superintendent Patrick O'Callaghan was back and forth to the scene during that day. When he first arrived at the scene, he didn't see anything particularly untoward, but he'd gotten down on his knees and peered into the tank with a flashlight and seen what he could only assume. Was the body of Bobby Ryan O'Callaghan had ordered the area preserved and asked that the tractor pulling the agitator be moved, and that the vacuum tanker be emptied. He had made the decision that the flagstones on top of the pit should be moved in order to allow the fire service to access the body when he'd contacted them and explained the situation, saying that the guardie would need their help. The fire services had said that they would be unable to help while the tank was covered. Tony Churnley, a retired guard, was called in to assist at the scene. He was asked to use a mini-digger to remove the remainder of the concrete slabs from the top of the tank to get access to the body below. The slabs were made of two iron undersides that had concrete poured over so that they could be pulled apart separately. They were heavy and the machinery was required to move them both fully off the runoff tank. Some of the 40-year-old concrete had crumbled and broken off as Mr. Churnley moved it, but the damage had seemed minor to him and he hadn't been asked to stop by the guardie supervising the move. A more junior member of the guardie was asked to empty the contents of the vacuum tanker onto the ground at the crime scene and also used the truck that Quirk himself had been using just hours before to pump the remaining water from the tank, though there was very little left at this point. He emptied that onto the ground nearby too. Once the slabs were removed, ten officers from the local fire station began the process of removing the body from the tank. They wore chemical suits and breathing apparatus as they slid a tarpaulin under the body and lifted it from the tank. It had been more complicated than a typical retrieval from water due to the confined space. There was some damage done as the firemen negotiated the tight space and unfortunately one of the body's arms broke away in the process. As the recovery operation got underway, Superintendent O'Callaghan had called to Mary Lowry's house He told her exactly what was going on and asked her to gather some things, as he needed her to leave the property. She was shocked and grabbed a few things before leaving. That would prove to be her last time at the property. Gardi focused mainly on the recovery of the body that day, taking pictures and bagging evidence from the tank but they did note both Mary Lowry's shock at the news when it was delivered to her and Patrick Quirk's behaviour that afternoon. To the Gardee, he had appeared to be quite clean for someone who was apparently working with slurry that day. Quirk had told them that he hadn't got to the dirty bit yet, but was wearing a regular top and trousers, and even his hands seemed clean for someone who had been messing around with farm equipment, water and hoses. On top of that, Quirk had rang his wife upon discovering the gruesome remains rather than immediately contacting the police. Their suspicions were definitely raised. Detective Sergeant John Keene searched Pat Quirk's house on the 17th of May 2013 and took a number of items from it. A computer, a hard drive, USB sticks, mobile phones, an iPad, a pair of green overalls and a red portfolio with various documents enclosed. While in the house, Patrick Quirk had said to the sergeant that the media had it all wrong about a wallet and clothing being found in the tank with Bobby Ryan's body. The warrant he had been shown before the search began indicated that the guardie would be in part searching for clothing and jewellery belonging to Mr. Ryan, as well as keys and possibly a weapon. Quirk also asked whether the cause of death was known in this case but the Garda said he couldn't say. A truck and trailer was also taken from the Quirk's home at the same time as well as a number of sheets of paper both with and without writing on them. Mary Larry's home was also searched. This time though it was of a more forensic nature. The house was searched for any sign of blood. After the post mortem was concluded, Gardee knew that Mr. Ryan had died from blunt force trauma and that, wherever he had been prior to ending up in the runoff tank, he would have bled profusely. Ms. Lowry's bedroom and sitting room were examined with luminol, which glows when it comes into contact with iron in blood. A number of samples were recorded and swapped from the Larry home and sent to the lab for testing. As the investigation progressed, the focus of the Gardaí shifted from forensic investigations and post-mortem results to what information might be gleaned from the people who had last seen Bobby Ryan and who had been on the farm in the days around his disappearance. Unsurprisingly, Patrick Quirk was of particular interest. His first statement was given to Inspector David Buckley on the 16th of May 2013 in the Garda station of the nearby Tipperary town. Quirk was asked why he hadn't called the Garda when he discovered the body. He explained that he had basically panicked. Quirk insisted that he wasn't thinking logically when he found the body. He was in shock and in a panic and rang his wife because he said she would know what to do in a crisis such as this. He said, quote, This is what I did. You can pick holes in it if you like. I needed her, Quirk said that he knew instinctively that the body was that of Bobby Ryan and told Gardee that he thought the man had never left Mary Larry's house because when he found the body, Mr. Ryan was naked. Quirk also suggested during this interview, during this interview that whoever had killed Mr. Ryan may have been trying to cover their tracks by getting rid of clothes and therefore also any forensic evidence that could have been found on them. He went on to say that he was scared of Mary Larry. that only the night before the discovery she had had a go at him when he saw her in the yard. He said she was vicious and that he hadn't wanted to see her, and so when he found the body that he presumed to be the missing Bobby Ryan, he hadn't called her either. Quirk told Gardee that he thought Bobby Ryan must have been murdered because if Mr Ryan had completed suicide, his body would have been found. He told Gardee that he hadn't known Bobby well, insisting that they had nothing in common, and he knew so little of him he couldn't even say that he liked him really. Days later, on the twenty first of may, Mr. Quirk was back in an interview room at Tipperary Garda Station. It was in this conversation that he told Gardy about his relationship with Mary Lowry. Quirk complained that his name and reputation had been ruined in the town, the place he'd lived his whole life. He said, quote, "I had an affair with this woman, but that is my only crime." End quote. He described how he and Miss Lowry had started an affair in 2008 after the death of Martin Lowry. They broke up in december 2010 and it wasn't amicable quirk admitted that he had been upset to learn that mary had begun seeing bobby ryan some months previously at one point before the breakup he'd taken her phone and responded to one of bobby's texts to say that he quirk was with mary and told the other man to go away he added though that he'd never had an argument with mr ryan he said he'd wanted to stay friends with Larry after the breakup, but she'd wanted nothing to do with him. He also told the guardee that there had been a meeting of sorts between himself, Mr. Ryan, and Ms. Larry at a hotel, where they had discussed their ongoing problems. According to Quirk, Bobby Ryan had been sympathetic to him and said he too had gone through a breakup and knew what it was like. Quirk recalled that Mary Larry had said very little during the meeting. The guardie asked Patrick Quirk about what he remembered from the day Mr Ryan had gone missing, back in 2011. Quirk recalled that he had been out in the fields early that day as he and his wife were going away for the weekend and they planned on leaving early in the afternoon. Quirk said he'd gone over to the field before nine o'clock to collect two bulls he intended leaving out with the cows that weekend. He told them that he hadn't been near the tank connected to the milking parlor that morning, nor had he seen anyone else near the spot. He was in and out of the farm quickly. Quirk said that he had seen Mary that morning putting her kids into the car, but he didn't stop to talk, he just waved. He and Imelda left for Port Leash around lunchtime that day and heard that Mr Ryan was missing that evening. When Patrick returned from the weekend away, he spent some time out searching for Bobby Ryan with others. Despite his protestations otherwise, the guardie did didn't believe the story quirk had told them. He had a number of motives to want Bobby Ryan out of the picture. He had been on the farm that morning and had access to the runoff tank Bobby's body was found in. The searches of his property had also turned up some interesting information that supported their suspicions and Gardee were eager to ask Quirk for more information about it. And so Patrick Quirk was arrested in relation to the murder of Bobby Ryan on the 19th of June 2014 and brought once more to Tipperary Garda Station. This time, in his interview, Quirk was asked about the websites he had visited after searching for information about human decomposition, which were found on the computer seized from his house. He told Gardi that he had visited the websites Forensics for Fiction and Suite101.com because the death of his son in a tragic farming accident had made him want to know more. Gardy pointed out that his son's death, though indeed traumatic, didn't quite line up with the timing of the searches. Allen had died in August of 2012, some months before the searches in December. It also didn't explain why he'd made similar searches even before his son's passing. He'd looked up the term body decomposition in July 2012, and then later in September he did a search for the term limitation of DNA evidence. The guardy put it to him that he had perhaps decided to look these things up because he knew he was going to lose the lease on the land and that it was inevitable that Bobby's body was going to be discovered. Quirk totally denied this, saying he could have just covered up the tank if that was the case, or if he wanted to know what state the body was in, if he knew where it was, surely he could have just looked. Gardy said that perhaps he'd thought that if he quote-unquote discovered the body, he'd look like less of a suspect, or perhaps the death of his son had brought on guilt for whatever had happened to Mr. Ryan. Again, Quirk denied this. But despite Quirk's denials, he appeared in the district court to be formally charged with the murder of Bobby Ryan, and after meeting his bail conditions was allowed home to await his trial. Around the same time, in early June of 2014, an unnamed woman was also arrested. She was brought into Tipperary Garda Station and interviewed about possibly withholding information from the Gardee. The identity of this woman is not publicly known beyond the fact that she was not identified as Ms. Lowry. The woman was held for four days and interviewed more than ten times before Gardee concluded that there was no evidence she had withheld information from them, and so she was subsequently released. Quirk continued to work his farm from his home in Fonagown until January of this year 2019. He and his wife made the daily journey by train from Tipperary to the Central Criminal Court just steps away from Houston Station. Reporters and members of the public vied for their places in the gallery before Ms. Justice Eileen Creedon. Six men and six women were seated in the jury box and Michael Bowman, senior counsel, took the lead for the Director of Public Prosecutions. Quirk was represented by Bernard Condon, senior counsel, and Lorcan Staines, also senior counsel. The jury were told to expect to be in court for 12 weeks. At this early stage, no one knew that the Tipperary Love Rival Trial, as it became known in the media, would set the latest record for the longest-running criminal trial in Irish history. Next time, on the Mens Rea Podcast. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and give a five-star rating. Or honestly, just tell a friend. That really is the easiest way to support your favorite podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at mensreapod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. I do love hearing from you. So get in touch. You will make my day. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon, Special thanks this week to Christopher Cameron, our good friends at All Crime, No Cattle, Abby Height, Amy Ray, and Sean Gaither. Thank you so much, guys. Our theme music is Quinn's song, The Dance Begins, by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music by Juanita Meisel. This podcast was researched, written, and produced by me, your host, Sinead. This two-part series was made possible by the reporting from the courtroom by three journalists in particular. Owen Reynolds, RTE's Vivian Traynor, and Nicola Anderson from the Irish Independent. All sources for today's episode can be found as usual in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. Till next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Guns. Knives. Poison. Bombs. Time and again, assassins have sought to change the course of history through one single, terrible act. I'm Neil Cooper, the host of Assassinations Podcast. Join me each week as I explore the darker side of history. New episodes are released every Monday and are available on iTunes and our website, assassinationspodcast.com dot com.